you're coming off a really high intent period where the average person has probably blown their budget on spending and that all has all this new stuff so with that in mind we were really focused on angles and offer a big focus for us is perceived value and, and how do we make sure that people feel like they're really getting something great there were some interesting trends we started to see with influencer whitelisting and dark posting because that feels more organic when it came down to angle and offer we're, we're really key for us traffic costs did drop as expected when we're in that post holiday shopping period so if you can nail the offer and angle side of things it's it is a big opportunity Hey retailers, ever feel like your shopper experience feels just like everyone else's? That's probably because it does, and it shouldn't. Bluecore matches online shoppers with the products they'll buy next across channels like email, on-site, paid media, social, and SMS. With Bluecore's retail data and predictive intelligence, brands automate personalized content, offers, and recommendations for each individual shopper, enabling brands like Noble to increase conversions by 15% and drive a 46% increase in repeat buyers. Visit BlueCore.com to discover why brands like Noble, Express, and Bliss chose BlueCore to automate and scale their multi-channel personalization. Hello and welcome to All Killer No Filler. I'm Eric. It's Wednesday and it is the new year, 2022. And new year, new format on All Killer No Filler. We're going to be running with a few of these roundtable formats where we bring together leaders uh, from Pilot House from the different divisions. Instead of just going directly speaking to someone from Facebook or someone from Google or someone from Amazon, we're going to get a representative from each department. We're going to mix it up about the wins, the losses, the things we're excited about, the tips and tricks and all that great stuff. So welcome to the podcast. We've got Saul from Google, Rob from Amazon, and Taylor from Facebook. Let's just kick it off open table style. Who can jump in with one of our, our big wins from Q4 2021 in your department? A couple of big couple of big wins. Um, we saw a couple of brands, um, actually more than more than a couple, quite a few. Of them, a lot of our brands did <laughs> did uh, did record breaking revenue. Um, and uh, we used a lot of the process that we built kind of in the post iOS 14.5 uh, landscape to help them uh, really fuel that from the Facebook side. So um, that was a big, big win for our department was um, coming together in the build up to Q4 and then working together to smash it um, as a department for the brands we work with. And then what specifically within that, Taylor? I know, obviously, first of all, you got to plug Scale School because that exact method is available in our comprehensive course, Scale School. But just in terms of like, what were some of those things that you that you prepared for that ended up working as good or better than you thought they would? Yeah, so for us, a lot of it was uh, data vantage points, which I know is incredibly valuable to the discussion around blending platforms and understanding where a platform fits into the, the customer journey and how you maximize it accordingly. So for us, data process, um, whether it was reviewing third-party tools that we added to our suite um, or um, leveraging our own process with the tools we have and the different processes, a lot of uh, which can be found in Scale School, um, that was a big win in the buildup. And then leaning into that as a way to drive creative, um, drive our structural improvements, applying all the learning from previous years ongoing with existing brands and then applying that to new brands we were working with as well. Um, basically, like all of that coming together and really being laser focused by the time we hit Q4, uh, ready to know that we've done all this work the rest of the year and let's let's smash it in e-com and, and see what we can do to, uh, to apply it all and, and leverage everything. Uh, some of that too is documenting some of our top uh, campaign strategies and things like that too. So for example, if we had good windows of time, we were ready to 
to bring out basically all the different tools we have in our toolkit um, and share, apply all that cross-agency, cross-department learning and cross-brand learning to, uh, to each brand. How about you, Rob? What about on the Amazon side? Any, any, what were the big wins uh, for clients on Amazon in Q4? Lots of our clients did like similar to, to Facebook setting kind of record-breaking months. A couple to call out, like one client had their first seven-figure month on Amazon, which is an exciting sort of revenue level to break through for, for the client and for us. So that was um, exciting for them to see. Uh, another client that was new to us at the beginning of Q4 uh, was able to 4x their revenue throughout from September to through the end of Q4. Uh, and from the early signs in January, it looks like we're actually going to be able to maintain a lot of that growth. Um, so really using Q4 as a, a leverage point to rank up a lot of their products and gain a lot of relevancy. Uh, and now we're look, working on holding that and dialing in efficiencies in Q1 for them. And that's one of the beauties of the Amazon platform is that it is a bit more of that rolling thunder where you can capitalize on momentum without having to always spend at record levels. Exactly. Yeah. So really building that organic rank and then spending to get there and then bringing in the efficiencies and then kind of bringing in the dollars and then just working on maintenance versus aggressive ranking. Very cool. How about you, Saul? Anything on the Google side? Well, like Taylor said, like we mostly work super tight with the Facebook team, making sure that we're maximizing spend efficiency uh, on the overall system so that a client can have as many sales they can on, on, on their usually Shopify stores. And I think the biggest wins in Q4 were we onboarded a, a client, I think at the end of, of Q3, so October, November, December, we onboarded them for Q4 and we um, they had, to us, their goals look pretty incredible and crazy and we managed to hit them all and, and, and they were actually pretty surprised that we attained them. And I think it was just having that collaboration um, between Facebook and Google, making sure that um, whatever we learned over the over the year and 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 the, and the year before, like like Taylor said, they the Facebook team had a pretty good idea of what type of you know builds and campaigns worked in the past, and that really hasn't changed, right? Like, it's still the same people using Facebook. We just can't track them as well anymore. And having that, and I think also having access to other tracking platforms before starting with big clients helped a lot on that having a guide to begin with, right? So every, everything got working really well between all the traffic buying platforms. And I think that was a big part of the, of the success we had for Q4. And I think that's one of the reasons we're doing roundtables here is to help people understand the synergies that are created when you're able to work cross department. So specifically around Google and Facebook, can you give any any sort of concrete examples of things that were done? I guess, Saul, you just mentioned there sort of taking the actual creatives that worked best on Facebook and applying them on, on Google as well. What other ways create synergy between when clients are able to leverage more than one of these fundamental areas that Pilot House offers? Well, I would say like even, you know, Google and Amazon too, or, or Facebook and Amazon or Facebook and Google and Amazon, like for Amazon, for example, on the search side of things, there's a lot of cross, they're not the same. They are a little different in terms of the paid side, like paid search, that kind of thing. But there are some learnings and, um, and now Amazon has a, a way of tracking, um, traffic, like conversions coming from outside from Facebook or Google. So if a person only has an Amazon store, they can also just get Facebook ads or Google ads, send them to their Amazon store, and you can actually kind of track that. Um, I don't know how accurate it is because I don't work with Amazon, but I know they do give the option now. And then for Google and Facebook working together, I would say that um, obviously creative learnings, 
usually like I mean YouTube is different than Instagram and all that stuff but usually the angles work the same uh, there's a lot of angles that can be shared learnings from that um, copy copy that works on Google generally works on Facebook some for, for some reason uh, we got we get a lot of that um, then obviously all the hype that you can get through Instagram and, and, and Facebook helps you with your branded search which like I've said before, it trains your algorithm and then your algorithm is better on Google to find generic customers, right? Or YouTube customers or prospecting display customers, that kind of thing. So I think that that's all um, how they both work together besides the audiences and all that stuff that we've talked about before. And it makes sense just with Google having intent baked into it more. So you, when you're when you're creating ads around specific intent, it's just going that one level deeper so that when you port that over to Facebook, you may not be able to target on that intent, but by putting out that intent, you're going to draw people to it, right? Yeah, I would say that's how I think about it. I don't know, Taylor, what, what do you think on that? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And I think like that's a, a huge thing for us was a unified process between the teams. Because even though we might have someone like myself who specializes in, in Facebook and, and the paid social side, which is kind of more of that, yeah, that disruptive intent generating or aware, you know, people people say generating awareness. I like to think of generating intent um, because our ultimate goal is to speed up the consideration process and convert someone immediately. Um, but we want to support the entire funnel as well while we're doing that. Um, but yeah, I think for us, like having everybody around that same target. So uh, a good example of how we kind of applied this in Q4 this year was um, there's a brand uh, that we work with. We broke a, a, a profitable spend record as well on Black Friday, spending over 300K on ads. And we ended up um, in November, we had, you know, more spent kind of dominant to, to some of the paid social and in, in terms of our spend allocation between uh, Google and paid social. Um, but then coming into December, we were communicating, we were reading the data, getting behind all the different data points, understanding kind of where um, the intent was uh, as far as like what could be the most efficient and, and most valuable for driving that growth at that time. And in December, for example, we pulled it back to do a 50-50 split on spend allocation when we were maybe um, something more like an 80-20 in favor of paid social for that specific brand. So I think on that side of things, as Saul mentioned, it's it's getting around that goal together and then letting everything follow from there. Like I loved what he mentioned about some of the, the angles and and content. Just yesterday, I was asking some of our top uh, Google media buyers, what are your top keywords right now in terms of so I can add that to my headlines and my ad copy in Facebook and, and kind of capture that and recreate that in new other new audiences as well. So we like to, to work together on that to drive those results. And then one of the things we've talked a lot about on this podcast recently is ecosystem ROAS, this idea of being able to telescope up and look at your Shopify environment more holistically so that you don't have competing traffic sources taking double credit for conversions. Can you guys walk me through a little bit of what that looked like on, I don't, I don't know if this is an issue on the Amazon side as much because Amazon pretty much isn't going to take credit or have credit taken from it. I don't think most of the time, right? It's because it's its own environment, but between Google and Facebook, there is that, that battle sometimes. How, how does that work, you know, on the front lines when it comes to clients that are doing both uh, Google and Facebook with us? I, I feel it makes things easier for uh, clients to deal with their monthly vendors. Uh, that's one thing, right? Like just um, having us having to figure out on our end who's attributing what and who was responsible for what um, takes that out from the client having to, you know, they're, they can get one bill and they can look at the efficiency of their agency overall 
uh, total spend, you know, versus total revenue. It's a quick and easy, um, but realistic way, right? If you take out uh, returns and you take out um, discounts, all that stuff, there's it, it doesn't get more black and white, right? Like how much did I spend on advertising and how much revenue that advertising brought in and go from, from that efficiency, right? You're still looking at how efficient you are, you know, looking at soft metrics like reach and impressions and all that. Um, McCann type stuff, but um, you, you're you're still trying to to move the needle for your clients, and then you can adjust internally divide that among the 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 teammates and and because we're all part of the same company, we try to be as you know transparent internally, which reflects outside, right? Like if you're trying to be transparent with your with your teammates, then obviously that's going to reflect on how you deal with the client. Yeah, I was going to say, and I 100% agree with Saul, and and I think that's what what really helps us thrive within our partnerships is having that exact shared goal at the top that all teams on the project are working towards. Um, and then with that comes that deep understanding of where platforms fit into the journey for a brand specifically. It varies brand to brand, you know, the nature of a product, um, what their mix is, what they've done historically, whether they're new, they're, they're established, all those types of things. Um, but for us being able to, for me as a, a Facebook media buyer to be able to be, hey, my retargeting campaigns should look really good on last non-direct click attribution in Google Analytics. If they don't, um, let's think about where we might want to reallocate that spend to somewhere else that might be more efficient um, and let something else maybe take care of that. Or, hey, you know, we're noticing that our traffic, we're not getting enough fuel from the top. Maybe we need to invest more in things like YouTube or um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, things like that. So when it comes down to it, I think having a holistic understanding of where those signals fit and then communicating between the teams um, really helps us. Uh, push and move the needle um, with regards to to what Saul's speaking to at at the top as far as our shared goal. And then all the data pieces and how we measure that kind of falls into place from there. That's where Amazon fits into it as well as from like an operations standpoint and efficiency standpoint, especially if you're dealing with like an inventory limited client. So for example, if your Amazon was your first channel and it's all scaled up and you have major efficiencies there, then it might make sense to allocate the inventory there and away from Facebook to maximize the value out of it, or vice versa if Amazon's a new channel. Since we're all on the same team and all working together, like a win for the brand is a win for Pothouse, and whether that sale comes from Amazon or Facebook or Google, whatever's best for the brand in that scenario is a, channel, a place we can advise them towards. Um, so Amazon's on its own in the attribution standpoint, and from, a, from an ops standpoint, it fits into the mix. Let's talk Q5. This is something that's, we didn't mention in the newsletter this year. It was something that we, we talked uh, quite a bit about last year, Q5 being the time after shipping deadlines are missed between Christmas and New Year's, which was, I think, a pretty overall, a pretty quiet time. It was a pretty quiet time on the D2C side. We, we took a little time. Uh, just were there any, any things that moved during Q5 uh, for clients this year? I guess with Amazon specifically, Rob, it's like you're, you're so defined by the shipping times, especially for any sort of gifting gifted product. And it's so clear as to whether something's going to make it or not. Anything that happened during Q5 this year on Amazon? Nothing huge for for us. Like it was majorly like for our Canadian clients, they of course have Boxing Day. So you see a, a bump after the day after Christmas for that. Um, for a lot of our American clients and clients based elsewhere, uh, it was more so just like dialing in efficiencies because your spend, your bids are all like cranked way up because everything gets super competitive before the holidays. So bringing those back down, the intent changes again. So adjusting that and then people just aren't in a shopping 
mindset. So being an intent-based platform, we saw or like revenue drop quite a bit during that period. So it was more so like, let's dial in efficiencies, maximize what we can with the traffic and then wait for things to pick back up um, early January, which is where we are now. New year, new you, new yeah. angles. Exactly. Right. Uh, anything on your on the Facebook side, Taylor, for Q5? Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, we echo some of the similarities Amazon saw for the way I see it is that that's one of the biggest transitions in terms, in terms of what type of content resonates with an audience. So um, I think on our end, we were really focused on primarily looking at angles and offer, um, knowing that, you know, you're coming off a really high intent period where the average person has probably blown their budget on spending and now has all this new stuff. Um, so with that in mind, uh, a big focus for us is perceived value and, and how do we make sure that people feel like they're really getting something great. Um, we saw you know, some of our self-care type brands. Those ones do quite well. We did see success with New Year New Angles. Um, there were some interesting trends we started to see with um, influencer whitelisting and dark posting because that feels more organic and potentially when you know people might be burned out off, off shopping at a time. Um, so I think when it came down to angle and offer were, were really key for us. And then making sure we had everything laid out and well prepped because traffic costs did drop as expected um, when we're in that post holiday shopping period. So if you can nail the uh, the offer and, and angle side of things, it's it is a big opportunity. We saw generally what I would say mixed results, kind of brand to brand for the most part. Nice. Anything Q five related on the Google side, Saul? I didn't see a slowdown on most of the Google accounts even after shipping stop. Like kind of. I mean, December was less than November in some of those accounts, but it still kind of kept going at a pretty high level. Um, yeah, I don't think buying, buying intent went down quite a bit. Um, we just, in a lot of the Google um, accounts, we're kind of focusing on being a little more efficient over Q5 just to avoid, um, you know, uh, more to help Facebook um, and, and the Facebook team, like I said, in that team uh uh, strategy that we have, make sure that um, we were hitting efficiency uh, uh, targets for our clients. So a lot of our Q5 was ma more making sure that we were helping in that sense kind of thing. So you mentioned this, Taylor, uh, just about the cost drop. Uh, this is something, you know, on the, the D2C user acquisition side, we were, you know, contending with, the, you know, our biggest prices ever in, in Q4 in terms of driving new users. And when our subscriber base isn't a $100 or $300 purchaser, it's hard to justify spending into those incredibly high costs. What are we actually seeing in terms of like January? Like how far have the costs come down on various platforms? Taylor, starting with you on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, it, it varies depending on the scale of the brand, but we're seeing anywhere from 40 to 100% drops in, in costs on front end, at least, in terms of CPM or, or link CPC, um, varied on the, the the CPA side of things, just based on where that intent falls and how those angle, those new angles or existing angles are performing. For sure. Anything noticeable on the uh, Google Amazon side? I know for sure that CPMs have gone down uh, 50 to 60%. That's That's for sure, yeah. Efficiency has gone up quite a bit, and like we're getting pretty much the same return on ad spend with much lower ad spend and much more higher revenue type thing, just because CPMs have been going down. Yeah, on the Amazon side, completely keyword dependent. Like your branded is always going to be fairly consistent, but your generic gifting keywords are going to, or more generic keywords are going to drop. But then coming into January, like anything health related, sports related, New Year New related is going to start climbing. So. I think it all starts to work itself out in the wash. 
One of the things that we're thinking about on the the newsletters acquisition side is really front loading at least the first two quarters because we know how much of a rise we saw in cost in in the second two. Um, And I know that's something that we shifted this year. I know we put a lot more uh, budget, for instance, into list building and audience building, you know, ahead of the the Q4 push. And I'm wondering, is is that something that you guys are thinking about as well? Just sort of like front loading costs while the while they're low right now. Yeah, I can I can say on the Facebook side, the trend analysis, looking even at a more micro level, like looking at what the top days in the month are and, and things like that and like what patterns we noticed how are we improving on that from last year um we're we're thinking about the same and, and we're thinking about that relative to uh the entire year as a whole as well in, in a lot of our budget planning this year looking at where the the big uh the big wins in the areas of opportunity and improvement kind of were over the past year or past years now we're headed into it sounds like some some interesting times here in North America. We're in Canada and I think we're, we're just, uh, you know, school's been delayed. I've got my daughter downstairs. Uh, we've got potential further lockdowns looming. I remember heading into this last year where there was a big amount of people didn't know what to expect in the e-commerce world as to whether people would be still spending or whether, uh, things would really drop. And, 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 you know, obviously 2021 was our, our biggest year ever. We saw more and more people come online into the e-commerce space and more than make up for, you know, maybe a lack of consumer confidence. I'm just wondering heading into January, what, what are these prospects? Like what, how are we feeling about 2022 as a year? Do do we think it'll just be more of the same, more e-commerce trending upward? I don't see that changing in the in the next year. Uh, if anything, I think people, like we were already training there, you just go like accelerate it, right? Um, it's taken the shirt it's supposed to have, and then people are gonna people are shopping online. They're gonna keep shopping online, and those that those that prefer going somewhere, they're gonna keep going to places. And there are certain things that some people like to try on and look at and touch, and there are some things that the same the same product other people just buy online. So that's big part of it, right? Um, and I think that those people that were going to be persuaded to buy online for, for certain things have been persuaded. And that's just going to add on um, in the future, whether they shop on Shopify or Amazon, that's kind of where things are, things might be, uh, who knows type thing, right? And it comes down to angles. Again, we were talking about homewares and things like if people are already, they're trained to buy things online probably on average, people are trained to stay home a little bit more these days. And so it just opens up all those, you know, angles for certain kinds of products for to make people's experiences at homes more comfortable. So it just like, like Rob was saying, as, as some things die down, other things will always pick up. Yeah. And with those angles, it opens up a bunch of angles for like the justification process too. It's like, you're now spending like, if you didn't work from home before, now you're spending like two thirds of your day at home instead of just the one third you were sleeping and cooking. So it's like with that much more time at home, it makes sense to invest in your space and in making your space comfortable and your workspace comfortable. And like you can just spin that whole thing into a into an angle. If you're not spending five dollars a day on lattes or ten dollars a day on lattes, you can afford a, a really great espresso machine. Exactly. Got one over there. Very cool. Um, anything that we're really looking forward to in 2022? I know that their platforms are continuing to innovate. I don't know what sort of echoes we've heard about about things that are happening in 2022. Obviously, people are talking about Web3 and some of these other. Are there any things on your minds for 2022 that are going to be uh, exciting opportunities? There's Amazon's, like they've been pushing their new TVs uh, and you can do OTT advertising through the DSP network. So there could be some really interesting things popping up with that in terms of getting 
like Amazon TV access as like a audience in the DSP network and like really trying to dial that in. Cause you just like, if they're buying an Amazon TV, it's like they're an Amazon shopper. Um, so there could be some fun things with that that we'd like to experiment with and keep, keep an eye on as we sort of move through it. Um, Saul alluded to it already, but the Amazon attribution for tracking off Amazon traffic to Amazon. So like either Google to Amazon, Facebook to Amazon, um, that's kind of cool and something we're starting to experiment a little bit more with clients. Uh, the tracking is reasonable, especially if you run it to a store. And then the bonus for the brand too is you get a 10% discount. It's called a brand referral bonus. You get a 10% discount on your Amazon fees if you're driving outside traffic through an attribution link. So rather than paying the 15%, you're only paying 5%, uh, which can help justify the, the cost of driving that traffic uh, from off-platform. Uh, as soon as you start doing that, though, then you're going to run into the potential for some attribution issues, depending on if someone, say, clicks a Google ad, use a product page, then ends up searching your brand, clicking a different sponsored product ad, the last click is going to get the attribution. Um, so you could run into some issues there, which like Facebook and Google already have. Welcome to the party. Yep. Amazon. Love it. How, uh, anything on the Facebook side, Taylor? I know I know that we've integrated some third parties that have really helped us uh, with the tracking side of things, with, with uh, you know, in planning, spending planning and things like that. Anything else on your radar that you're looking forward to on the Facebook side? Yeah. Uh, I mean, to that note, I've heard murmurings from uh, a rep I work with that there may be um, maybe some updates coming on the attribution side. I, ha I haven't heard much and can't confirm that, but um, it sounds like Facebook's continuing to work on work on that that piece on their end, um, based on what I've heard. So we're excited about potentially that. But yeah, the the work that we've done on process, I think, and how that's going to compound into what we just talked about, all the different potential trends, um, the why behind purchasing, you know, the knowledge that in a lot of ways the last couple of years have been a heavy shift towards increased consumer trust that the you know committing to spending their money on products online is going to bring them a, a confident return. They, and it's not some scammy ad uh, type situation where they're going to get something bad. So um, what's been really great is continuing to work um, with all of our brands on on how do we build that message and how do we work those angles, creating, I think, a big evergreen opportunity ongoing as, as shopping continues to to kind of uh, shopping online continues to grow based on all the market forces. So um, yeah, I'd say like a lot of applied data, applied process and uh, new opportunities um, and then potentially more uh, paid social platform growth as well. Interesting to see kind of where some of the other ones like TikTok and uh, and uh, and some of those sources go and yeah. Very cool. I, I, I Maybe 2022 is the first year that one of our clients launches an NFT. It's a big buzzword right now. I don't know a lot of brands are doing it in a, in a very meaningful way, but I feel like we're we're in that 1996-1998 sort of phase of the internet uh, on on that whole web3 thing. So it'll be interesting to see the brands that do make moves there. Definitely. Okay, well I think uh, that does it for our very first round table here on All Killer No Filler. Thanks for coming on today, guys. Here's to an amazing 2022. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.